You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, happy Saturday, and welcome into Arrowhead Pride's Best of the Week. My name is Pete Sweeney. I'm the editor-in-chief of ArrowheadPride.com, and this is the best of the Arrowhead Pride podcast network leading into Kansas City Chiefs and Tennessee Titans Sunday at noon Arrowhead time. We start the podcast with Out of Structure, debating Juan Thornhill versus Dan Sorensen, as well as Clyde Edwards-Elair versus Daryl Williams. We continue on with the editor's show around the eight-minute mark, myself and John Dixon, We'll share our marinated takeaways from the Chiefs and Washington football team. We continue then with the Great British Chiefs show as they take their first look at the Tennessee Titans around the 26-minute mark. Show and BK detail what the Chiefs need to do when they have the ball against the Tennessee Titans. That's around the 32-minute mark. We have the best of our AP interview series with Jason Martin as he tells us what the Titans are about this year. They've been a little bit up and down. That's around the 42-minute mark. But again, we're going to start with out of structure. This is... Arrowhead Pride's best of the week. Um, so are you buying or selling, Ron, this idea that Thornhill and the speed that he brings can change everything? All they had to do was bench Dan Sorrenton. Well, in terms of changes everything, I think I'm going to have to sell that because I don't think it was – I don't think it's making the difference between the worst defense in the league and, and all of a sudden they're going to be top 15 now just because of that one switch. I think a lot of other things need to happen for, for them to get to where they want to be. But I will say – Thornhill played well against Washington, and I think one of the, the the most notable ways he played well was how quickly he can get up, come up in the alley, and, and take away a run maybe to the outside. I did see him in the box as well making plays, but there was a there was one instance in the second half, I believe, uh, where that when I think Washington missed the field goal after he 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 uh, he stuffed them. But Thornhill had three straight tackles on first, second, and third down, all to force a field goal attempt, and. and him just coming up really quickly, reading the defense, seeing the run, coming downhill and making a great tackle. The last one was on third and two. I think uh, Snead blitzed and actually got a hand on the the screen pass. It was a it was a quick wide receiver screen to the right or to the left, excuse me. The defense is right, but Thornhill was there immediately and would have and and tackled the guy, but would have made a, a you know a clean tackle even if the ball got there you know cleanly instead of the the receiver kind of had to get low to get it. But either way, Thornhill played really well. And I, and I do think he has that superior athleticism to Sorensen. And this defense just needs athletes. I mean, I'm sorry. Like, on, on the simplest terms, this, de- this defense just needs to be more athletic. And I, and I do think Gay and Bolton kind of give them a little more than Hitchens and Neiman maybe. Um, but, but, and, and that's a little uh, more debatable because I do think Bolton has a similar athletic, athletic profile as Hitchens. But it, there's no doubt that Thornhill is more athletic than Sorensen. And he, and he showed it Sunday why – uh, he needs to just continue to play there. I don't think they should look back now. Sorensen should be that third safety. Thornhill should be starting. Yeah, for for that reason, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that I'm buying this this narrative that benching Dan Sorensen made it was the big change that they needed. Um, 
I do think that he's on to something here, Travis. And I actually, now that I read his Twitter handle, I think this is a, Travis, a gold star. Um, Travis, ah. I don't know if he's a gold star uh, recipient or uh, a military uh, salute, if so. But uh, I think that the speed of Thornhill, along with the speed of Willie Gay, does make all the difference in the world. So um, I think that there's there's some truth to the fact that you just had to get Sorensen off the field a little bit um, and to have one less guy that the def- the offense can just clearly target and pick on. Um, but I do think that the combination of Thornhill speed and Willie Gay's speed uh, will make a difference for this team going forward. So let's get to the running back room. We had a lot of questions about uh, Clyde versus versus uh, Daryl Williams. There, uh, Jay Bird asked, Clyde being out of the picture might actually be a gain for the Chiefs. Uh, discuss amongst yourselves. So let's throw out this. Are you buying or selling the fact that Daryl is better than Clyde? Sell. Selling that very quickly. Um, I'm, I'm, I might sell that for free. I'm not even going to get any any money back for that, <laughs> for selling this one. Um, no, that, that's that's ridiculous, man. I, no, you know, I know Clyde hasn't been as impressive as we'd all like, but I still believe he's a better running back than Daryl. And, and in general, just losing your starting running back is never is never going to make you better than it did before. So sell, sell, sell. Yeah, people were pretty quick to turn on Clyde after two straight 100-yard rushing games. And then he goes out with an injury last week. And then you've got Daryl Williams coming in, who performed admirably. He was running hard. He had a couple of big pickups, especially the fourth down and the two uh, short yardage touchdowns. That's great. That's his role. That's what he's good at, and he did that well. But if you look at his overall stat line, and he averaged three yards a carry, 21 carries, which is more than I think that Clyde has had all season long, he took those 21 carries and turned it into 62 yards. You know, that's not a uh, super impressive stat line, and I think what we saw over and over again were runs for Darrell Williams that just did not go anywhere. They were blown up in the backfield. So whether that's a blocking issue uh, or a Daryl issue, I, I don't know for sure. So I can't say that Daryl is necessarily worse than Clyde. He's a different player, and I certainly am not buying this notion that somehow uh, Daryl is better or the Chiefs are better without Clyde on the field. So uh, that's a, that's one we can dismiss pretty quickly. Yeah, but I, I do want to get your take on this. I think Jeff Englehart uh, at True Rock Chalk on Twitter uh, had a good, maybe a good point. Um, I, I want to see what you think about this. But well, he he words this like I knew the season was going to be snake bitten once we released Damian Williams, which you know I don't know if that, the release of Damian Williams is is making the the season bad or anything. But I do I do kind of wish he would he was stuck he stuck around. You know I do kind of wish the Chiefs kept him around because I think right now he would be really nice for them to have with Daryl as that in the box downhill runner, but then Damien as a guy they can trust to, to be a receiving back. And, 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 you know, obviously he can run too. I've always kind of had a problem with Damien Williams vision. And so that might be something where I I do trust Daryl, maybe a little more inside the box and and getting tough yards. But what do you think about uh, Damien Williams? You know, do you have any regrets on maybe the Chiefs should have kept him around this year? Cause I'm, I kind of think they, they, I would have liked to see him on the field uh, for the chiefs. Absolutely. I would have absolutely liked to have seen him stick around. He brings that explosive aspect that this running back room has been missing. We keep hoping that it's going to be Jarek McKinnon steps into that. Uh, I know he had the one first down where he fought through tackles and that was admirable, but on the season, Jarek McKinnon has basically no production 
He's not getting a lot of opportunities, but he's certainly not uh, not out there making big plays for this team. I think Damian could have and and did when he was here, and I didn't see a really good reason why they had to get rid of him uh, just to bring in a guy like uh, McKinnon, uh, you know, or or just rely on Daryl more. They're obviously very different players, but Damian was a good back for this team. Uh, he's having some success there in Chicago, filling in, you know, in quite a big committee there, but you know, he's still averaging, you know, 4.3 yards of carries. He's got a couple of touchdowns already for the Bears. Um, I think that would have come in pretty handy when Clyde was hurt. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I really agree. I think Damian with his – because we haven't seen the running backs really be using the pass game a lot. And I think Damien, that was really where he excelled. I mean, we see, we see him on wheel routes. We see him, you know, on the, on these, on these more complex routes than they, it seems like they give to Clyde or Jarek McKinnon. So yeah, I, I would have liked to see Damien in Kansas city this year, but we'll move on. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's show. It is week seven, which means we are a third of the way there, John. Now that we have 18 weeks in the NFL season, see that quick math that I did there? 66.6666666666% of the season left for the Chiefs, including the Thanksgiving bye week. Thank you to the NFL for that here in Kansas City. All right, let's get into our marinated takeaways from the Chiefs' 31-13 win over Washington. John, we'll start with you. Yeah, uh, I'd like to talk a little bit more about uh, Jody Fortson. Now, he just had uh, one catch in this game, which means that he's uh, totaled five catches for uh, 47 yards. An excellent first catch. Year. Right. Yes. An excellent catch, uh, which we shouldn't go without mentioning, but, uh, I got to wondering after the game, how often a player, uh, it, so early in his career gets two touchdowns on so few targets. And you know what? It doesn't happen very often. Uh, wow. I went to our, our friends at pro football reference and their stat hood, stat head football, uh, application. And, uh, look to see how many times a player in five games, their first five games of their career had four targets and two touchdowns at least. And it turns out there have been two, Hmm. one of them, Jody Fortson here in 2021. (laughs) The last time it was happened that it happened was with Matt Spath for the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2007. Now this only covers the years from 1992 on because those are the years where they have target data. If right. you look at just receiver uh, 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 four receptions over the course of the first uh, five games of a player's career, there's quite a few more. But uh, this idea that a guy comes into the league and in his first five games doesn't drop a catch and scores two touchdowns, that's a pretty big deal. And I think that's one of the reasons that we're going to see the Chiefs work hard to bring him back next season. And there's one other one, too, that you kind of have to dig a little bit to find. But going to pro football focus, if you bring up all the tight ends uh, and their run and pass blocking grades this season, you don't see the grade for Jody Fortson because he's only had 13 run blocking uh, snaps. So he doesn't show up under the minimum qualifiers. But if you say turn off the minimum qualifier, his grade of 85.8 for run blocking is one of the top two in the league this year. So not only has he been very effective as a receiver, he's also been, granted, small sample size, um, a very effective run blocker. And in pass blocking, only three snaps, he has a grade of 70.6. Fortson has really done a great job. I think the Chiefs are going to work hard to bring him back. 
Yeah, I, I do feel like he had that tight end two ceiling. I mean, I think by the time the playoffs rolled around, he might have been the quote-unquote tight end two of this football team. You know that Travis Kelsey had a lot of support with him and Fortson appreciated that, and he just fit right in. And, wow, it 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 remains just a, a tough part of the, the 2021 season. That'll hopefully be one of the better stories of the 2022 season. You know, it occurred to me, uh, uh, people talk about, uh, Demetrius Harris as being the last successful tight end too. And even Harris was less than ideal in the eyes of many fans because his catch rate was so low, you know, right. and he, he, he has that nickname we all know uh, that's based on his name. And Fortson <laughs> is, you know, like Harris in that you can bring him in cold and he'll perform for you. And Harris had that capability. He dropped a lot of balls, no question about that. But he also had big touchdowns in big moments in big games. And I think that that's what we're going to see from Fortson uh, when he's playing behind Travis Kelsey. A good point by you, John, though incomplete. I'll just say that. (laughs) Okay, on to my first marinated takeaway. I think Sunday was a nice reminder that when Patrick Mahomes looks like Magic Mahomes, it just makes everything easier. And we hadn't seen that in a little bit. It just had been mm-hmm. struggle. When yeah. Patrick Mahomes is playing like he did in the second half and hitting those plays like the one to Tyreek Hill where he's running to the numbers and hitting Tyreek Hill on the other hash and throwing across his body with a perfect pass somehow, it really doesn't matter about what everyone else is doing. And it's been a while this season since the Chiefs have seen that version of Patrick Mahomes. And I just felt like this was a nice reminder. Yes, he's do indeed have the best player in the world. Yes, he is a human. He can struggle for a couple of weeks. But when he turns it back on, man, good luck. It doesn't really matter what the other 252 guys are doing. Yeah, this was so nice to see Mahomes in his full glory in the second half of this game. I mean, there were times this season that we saw that for short periods. There were a couple of games where he was really good throughout the game, but there have been no games where there weren't problems. This was the biggest stretch we'd seen all season where Mahomes was just Mahomes for a significant period of time. Well, in how long case, have we the second seen half of the game? And I get it's Washington. It's a struggling defense. Sure. Mahomes and the Tyree kill and Travis Kelsey and just how it typically it's seamless with this trio. And now you've had weeks where one has been good. You had weeks where the other was been good, but this was a return to yeah. the Mahomes Kelsey Hill triplet. And that's why you saw the 21, nothing blowout, which is what the Chiefs should do against the Washington football team. And it, it truly was, and it's a football cliche, but this game truly was a game of two halves. Yeah, I, I completely agree there. Uh, but, of course, we'd already used our tale of two halves for other games this season, so we couldn't throw that out there in the journalistic since we tried. But A tale know. of a, a pair of two quarters apiece. Um, yeah. is, that's the Bruce, Bruce Arians <laughs> version of that. All right, John, John, you can go at your next point. I, I want to stick uh, talking about uh, Mahomes a little bit. Uh, You know, it's become uh, a thing uh, among the national talking heads and the national writers to talk about Mahomes regressing this year for the first time uh, since he became the Chiefs starter. And for sure, eight interceptions is really bad. He's thrown eight picks. But I'd like to to point out something here about those eight interceptions. Now, I can think of three of them that were made while he was being sacked. And we've already addressed in this show how that's a problem and how it's an easy problem for him to fix. And well within his capabilities, uh, his mental capabilities, everybody would agree that Mahomes is capable of learning how to do that. So that takes off three of them. I can think of three 
and I think there were more, that bounced off a receiver's hands. Well, those are going to happen to any quarterback. But it's not Mahomes that it happened to. These are receivers who didn't catch balls that hit them in the hands and that they should have brought in. Um, so uh, I'm just not really sure that Mahomes has regressed. It, it, this is just this is about things Mahomes can fix. This is about things that have nothing to do with Mahomes. And I bet you could make an argument that there hasn't been a single targeted throw this season where Mahomes has simply made a bad throw and was intercepted as a result. Yeah. I I would agree. And uh, just to add on your point, I mean, it's hard to say to a top wide five wide receiver in the league be better, but yeah. And he knows it. You can't right. you can't drop the passes that Hill has dropped and allow it to pop up and go into that. It's such a, a killer. And in a sense, the Chiefs were lucky they were playing Washington. But when you make those mistakes against the Buffalo Bills, for example, they're right. going to pounce. Right. Like right. now that the Tennessee Titans have knocked off the Buffalo Bills on Monday Night Football. To me, the Titans become a team that you can't make a mistake like that against. They seem to be playing really good football, and this has suddenly become a really interesting AFC game. 2019 right. title rematch. You, there are players on that team that were there in 2019. They, they're going to really want this. You're going to Tennessee to, to play the Titans. And so I just think it gets more interesting in the little things that maybe you can make in the first half against Washington. You do that against Tennessee. They hand it off to Derrick Henry. He runs 90 yards down the field and all of a sudden it's 17, nothing Titans away. So you, I think the little things you're seeing getting cleaned up. Mahomes is, uh, I think understands that. And, and I think the chiefs are confident that he can clean those things up, but it, it also extends to uh, receivers and, and just making catch the catches. And, and if Josh Gordon's not ready, maybe you, you wait a little bit, for example. You know, some of the little things that make you a clean, more efficient, well-oiled football machine that can be in games with what are considered now some of these AFC uh, contenders. One point I wanted to make, John, was about the play of Daryl Williams and just what it does for the offense. And, and Daryl didn't have necessarily the, a good game statistically. This is one of those classic games where – you look at the boxer, you're like, oh, was Daryl even that good? I think he was excellent yeah. in the sense mm -hmm. of setting the tone, especially early in the early downs and early in drives and saying, okay, he can pick up three or four yards. And then when the opposing defenses uh, have to stop the run or pay attention to a guy that, that really is, is on one and, and is gashing you um, a little bit early in downs, then that does open things up for the pass game. And I think you saw a little bit of that. And good for Daryl to get the two touchdowns. So he had this whole comment right. during the week about how his mom cried when he wasn't drafted. He was a really yeah. good LSU player. And, you know, when you're playing for LSU on a good football team, that is the high of the highs. And to go from that to being undrafted and then to seeing – LaShawn McCoy come in and Le'Veon Bell come in and then they go and draft a running back. And even after that, we got rid of Damian Williams and to finally get that opportunity and really in his first outing and he'll have a couple chances here, but make the most of it. Uh, I thought was, was good. I also think Jarek McKinnon needs more touches that play. I tweeted it out. You can go back and look at my media and my, my tweets, twitter.com PG Sween got a first down with four guys in front of him. I, I don't know how he even was able to do it, but yeah, I feel like McKinnon, the one, two punch to me, it uh, seems like it, it should be a thing for for the Chiefs. I would like to see the ball in the hands of McKinnon a little bit more. You know, so long as it doesn't necessarily take Daryl Williams out of a rhythm, but a little bit more of a split, I think, could benefit this team. And and here's my last point on this marinated take. Just because I think we're complimenting Daryl and Jarek in their uh, games and, and what they were able to do with their opportunities doesn't necessarily mean Clyde is bad. I think we get sometimes lost in the, the idea that, like, 
okay, man, Daryl looked really good, and so did Jarek. Why did we draft Clyde? We drafted Clyde, or the Chiefs drafted Clyde, because his upside and ceiling is better. He just hasn't been able to stay healthy. He was actually on the come-up, where he had back-to-back 100-yard rushing games. was right. looking really good. So I just... I think that's just worth saying and reminding people like just because Daryl had a good game doesn't mean that Clyde pick was suddenly bad in a sense, because the chiefs have not even come close to reaching what the upside that Clyde is and Clyde can, can provide in my mind. And Daryl, Daryl has a lower seat as great of a game as he had. Well, I, I agree with everything you said. And, and I actually, I missed a, a, a point when we were talking about snap counts earlier in the show uh, that I should have mentioned. And that is that the chiefs gave Daryl his snaps and Edward Zolaire's snaps. Mm. Uh, he had a, a snap count above 70%, which we haven't seen from Edward Zolaire since week one of the season. Mm. And basically, they let him have his own snaps, uh, and he had Clyde Edward Zolaire's snaps. Jarek McKinnon had exactly the same number of snaps he'd had the week before in a percentage basis. So he had plenty of opportunities to show us things. He was basically I, the bell cow, which we haven't seen in very many Chiefs games this year. It's I, mostly been a running back by committee. Right. I've made I've made this point over the years and I'll, I'll just go back to it. Like I was here and I, I had an opportunity to cover the, like the Jamal Charles Chiefs and mm-hmm. after that um the Kareem Hunt Chiefs and now the Clyde Chiefs. Sometimes Andy Reid operates better when it's the Spencer Weir Traverius Ward Chiefs, when it's the Daryl Williams Chiefs, when people aren't checking the box score and looking at how many touches running back X has and they're more <laughs> of a compliment to the offense. Yeah. Because Andy yeah. Reid wants to pass first. And yeah, that's his offense, right? But when these guys are more compliments to the offense than supposed to be the third guy, like we talked a lot about going into this year, partly my fault, I did it, as Clyde edwards Lair being the third target on this team. And then you're looking at his targets and his receptions, and you're like, what, still not involved in the passing game? Why, you know? Mm-hmm. Andy yeah. Reid's running backs operate best when they're not expected to touch the ball all that much. And you see them shine in that sense. And that's why we got that the co- combined... 1,000 yard season for Spencer Weir and Traverius Ward, and why no one was really worried about how many touches they got when they were doing that. So it's just an, a caveat, I think, of an angry team. You know, I'd like to make one point that's expansion of what you were saying here, and uh, that relates to uh, Edward Zolaire being selected in the first round. I saw a lot of chatter uh, over the weekend about how great Daryl Williams looked, and, and I agree with you. He did look great. He looked better than yeah. the box score showed. I completely agree with that. But I saw a lot of commentary from fans, talking heads, et cetera, about how uh, Williams was better than Edward Zolaire. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I think he showed he can do the job effectively. I think he absolutely showed that when he was on the field on Sunday. But I also agree with your point before that Edward Zolaire had come off of couple of a couple of games where he looked fantastic. And I think people who are saying that uh, that that Edward Zolaire isn't the player the Chiefs need in this position, and then they should have Daryl Williams start in his place, are still pissed off because he was drafted in the first round. I think if you take that expectation of the first round off Edward Zolaire, everybody would think he was fantastic. Same and thing I, for Hardman it, in the second round, and I think yeah, that kills him yeah. too. If Hardman was yeah. drafted a little bit later, I don't know if fans would have so much disdain for him. The the fan doghouse though, it's it's right now it's worked for them though. They've gotten basically Ben <laughs> Neiman replaced and they've gotten Daniel Sorensen replaced. So I think you're gonna see more of this. Clyde had fallen into that a little bit. What'll be interesting, and I will think that this is interesting too, and it'll be something to follow, is if is if Daryl in these next two opportunities, two plus potentially, is able to rip off 
100 and cha- change yard efforts. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> That'll be really interesting when Clyde gets back in the Agreed. I completely agree with that. Yeah. And, Any and other you know, marinated takeaways from you, John? Yeah. Um, I just wanted to make a point about Ben Neiman. And and this is an expansion of, a, of what we were talking about before of using these players who have been used incorrectly because of circumstances where they don't do very well. And uh, Sorensen was not a guy that could be effective as the starting safety who's on the field for 100% of the snaps. Right. But uh, And Neiman has the same problem. He's been used uh, as a starting player when he really isn't at that level. I mean, no offense to either of these guys. These are both blue-collar players who have earned their positions to be reserve players on the Chiefs team, and we should be glad to have them. We just can't expect them to do those jobs. Uh, you know, they're just not going to be right. top-level players. They just simply aren't those kinds of players. I will point out that after Anthony Hitchens went out in the second quarter, we had Ben Neiman at the Mike linebacker position, which he does not normally play. This isn't a position that Neiman has normally played this season when we've had all these bad things happen with Ben Neiman. And in the second half, when Ben Neiman has the green dot on his helmet and is calling the plays and getting everybody lined up in the right place, the things that Anthony Hitchens does, the Washington football team was one for four on third downs. They gained 76 yards. They had 19 plays on four drives, ending with a missed field goal, a punt, a punt, and an interception. Now, I'm sorry. I know that it's not just Ben Neiman who was out there, but I think that those numbers show that the defense was effective with Neiman wearing the green dot, and he was basically being used in the place where he can be most effective, and that's to be as Anthony Hitchens' backup. And let's hope Mm -hmm. that Hitchens is able to get back on the field, but until then, I think Neiman's going to be able to hold the job down pretty well. You can contact the ultimate Neiman advocate, Arrowhead Phones, (laughs) on Twitter. So just direct all your commentary (laughs) toward John there. My last takeaway is just uh, looking forward. I'm juiced for this Chiefs-Titans game. I know that a lot of fans yeah. probably were watching last night and saying, oh, no, the Titans are coming. I'm like, no, this is now a, a game that matters a lot more in, in the sense of the Titans are legit. Yeah. Everyone was considering the, the Bills either the number one or number two team in the league. They just beat them on the national stage. And Josh Allen had the ball fourth and one, and they stuffed him. I, I, I was very, very impressed with the, the Tennessee Titans on this Monday night football game. And this is suddenly a, a very important AFC game because Titans showed that they're capable of beating the Chiefs. And the Chiefs now have an opportunity to say, look, we're back way before playing the Green Bay Packers, which I thought I was looking past the Titans. I thought the Bills would beat them and cover the spread last night. Did not happen. Uh, the Tennessee Titans kind of reannounced themselves in the picture of the AFC. Uh, so, yeah, don't ever take my betting advice if I ever try to um, <laughs> pass that along. All right. And, and you can't be looking past games. If you say the team can't look past a game, you right. can't do it either. So let's no. just be clear on that. So, yeah, I would like to look past the entire regular season, and just get to the postseason, but <laughs> can't fast forward like click, like Adam Sandler's click. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Arrowhead Pride's Best of the Week. Now it's time to go to the Great British Chiefs show as they take their first look at the Tennessee Titans. No, no. I mean, their best rushing guy is, um, oh, that, that's it. Uh, uh, Henry, he's called. Oh, okay. Henry Derrick. Henry Derrick, that's the one. Uh, <laughs> check this stat out, right? Considering it's only, like, what, week seven? Yeah. 162 carries, 783 yards, and 10 touchdowns. Jesus. That- How many carries? 162 in six games. So if that's not an indicator to Spags that they're going to be running the ball. <laughs> sorry, 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 to, sorry to talk about Spags. 162 carries in six games. How does Derek Henry get out of bed in the morning? <laughs> does he have a crane over his bed that picks him up and brings him downstairs? He must, ache. he must ache every morning. Oh, my God. Like I struggle getting up out of bed. Anyway, I don't do much athletic at all, but <laughs> like 162 carries and how yeah. many yards? 700. 783. And it's only week seven. He's, he's done that in what? In the, in, was he, did he play one of the games? Yeah, I, I think he did. But like people say that running backs don't matter and like Derek Henry doesn't matter. Like the, EP, the EPA nerds like love to say that <laughs> Derek Henry doesn't matter. Like I just don't get how you can come to that conclusion. Like I don't care what EPA says. Derek Henry 100% matters. Imagine if you put Derek Henry on this Chiefs team. Oh, yeah. I mean, it'd be phenomenal, wouldn't it? It'd be a phenomenal uh, team for sure. I mean, I, I know there's, there's there's obviously fans out there that's, that like, obviously, Clyde Edwards-Alaire and, and Daryl Williams, um, what we've got there. But to have somebody like Derek Henry, some real kind of phenomenal player like that would be immense for this Chiefs team. Yeah. Would you take... Right, here we go. Would you take... Derek Henry. So let's reverse back to 2020 draft and the Chiefs <laughs> were on the clock again, 32nd, and Derek Henry was there and you knew what kind of production Derek Henry was capable of. Would you take him with that pick? I think you have to. Do you think Chiefs Twitter? Because obviously the, the fashionable thing right now on Chiefs Twitter is to talk about that draft pick and yeah. not mattering and blah, blah, how they waste that draft yeah. pick. Do you, reckon, do you reckon the overrided opinion of Chiefs Twitter would be to take Derek Henry and put him on this Chiefs team with that I pick, look, with a first round look, pick? Looking at those stats, yes. Yeah, 100%. 100%. It, it would be devastating if the Chiefs had a running back like Derek Henry. Oh, mate. I right. mean, it's not It's not just like, it's not just a powerhouse. He's fast. Yeah. He's just really brutal. fast. I mean, that, that play where he ran for 76 yards or whatever it was yeah, uh, in the last game. Yeah. Um, he hit a top speed of like 21 miles an hour or something. Yeah. That's like nearly Tyreek kind of speed. It's like Tyreek's like 22.6 or something is fastest. Yeah, and Tyreek probably weighs half of what Derek Henry does. And the thing with yeah. Derek Henry, he always seems like he's get, he ha, he looks a bit like Jamal Charles when he runs because he looks like he's always getting quicker. Yeah. Like he he starts off kind of slow, but then once he gets going, he's just a train. He's a freight train. You cannot stop that man. No. And like I wouldn't want to be any defensive back. Like I could not imagine tackling Derek Henry to be very fun. I mean, put it into com- uh, in like a comparison here. I mean, I know Edward has obviously been injured, um, you know, last couple of weeks. But um, you know, our best rushing at the moment from Edward Zelaire was sixty-five carries, three hundred four yards. Mm. 
So he um, hundred more carries than Edwards Alaire. Way more, yeah. <laughs> way more, mate. But I mean, um, I mean, obviously we know that's their that's their main threat. Yeah. Um sure. and, and when you look at their passing threat, um, with the likes of t- with with Tannehill and obviously the weapons that he's got on, on shore there at, at, at the Titans, um, he's not utilizing them enough. He's not utilizing them half as much at the minute. Um, because apparently he's got hundred and twenty-eight well, yeah, he's had hundred and twenty-eight completions out of two hundred and two attempts. 1,467 yards, six TDs and four ints. It's pretty average, isn't it? Like It's, it's very not, average. I'm looking at their offensive output. Like They've scored over 30 points three times already this season. And yeah. we've, we've said before that if the Chiefs can keep opponents to less than 30 points, then they should be okay. They've done such a good job in the AFC Championship game on Derek Henry, though. Because yeah. after, the, after that Week 11 game back in 2019 and Derek Henry ran for, what, 258 yards and oh, the Titans yeah. stole a game at the end thanks to some really dodgy special teams plays and the Chiefs in Nashville. Um, yeah. All the talk coming into the AFC Championship game, which shouldn't hold much bearing now, but it kind of does because we're talking about the same player. Um when all the talk going into that was Derek Henry's going to run all over the Chiefs. He's going to run, run, run. The Chiefs aren't going to be able to stop uh, the Tennessee Titans and the Tennessee Titans are going to go into the Super Bowl and beat whoever they were going to play in that particularly. But that's not what happened. The Chiefs managed to put a lid on Derek Henry. What was it? 69 yards. And they made Ryan Tannehill beat the Chiefs. And I feel like that's exactly what the Chiefs are going to try and do again this week they're going to try and load that box because you have to because if Derek yeah. Henry's run if Derek Henry's happy to run 30 40 times a game then he will run 30 40 times a game and if you cannot stop him over four downs you do not stand a chance to stop this Tennessee Titans offense so they, they have to first and foremost concentrate on stopping Derek Henry then after that say right Sneed versus AJ Brown Rashad Fenton versus Julio Jones if he plays like, yeah. let, let, let's see what these guys can do. Because remember, in the offensive line, Tennessee Titans are going to be without Taylor Lewan this year. Like, they're star right tackle. He's mm-hmm. going to be in a concussion protocol. So chances are he's not going to be playing this Sunday either. So the, the pass rush might actually get to Ryan Tannehill for a change. But first and foremost, you just have to stop Derek Henry. If we start to see Demarcus Robinson, and we saw him do it last week, and Byron Pringle, and uh, and 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 McCole Hardman, and I guess, does Josh Gordon play? And Josh Gordon, like, they got it. Like, any of those guys start getting singled up against some of those third cornerbacks out there, like Demarcus Robinson did when he got singled up for that touchdown. Uh, They get singled up with their second and third corners. Like, those guys should be able to win those battles one-on-one, especially if they are bracketing and and, and putting so many eyes towards – 87 and 10. And in this game, they should really be able to win those battles. Maybe against Baltimore, they've got better corners and things of that nature. They should be able to win these battles. And and, and I think this is a a bit, should be potentially big games for those guys if the Titans play their defense the way that other teams have against the Chiefs. I'm I'm calling, I'm calling a long McCall touchdown in this game. Okay. I finally break one. I'm fluttering. My heart's fluttering when I hear you say that. They have one corner on their roster, or one defensive back, rather. They have zero corners. If if I hear Brian Greasy call him Jack Rabbit Jenkins one more time, I'm going to lose it. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I'm going to lose it. Why is he doing that? I noticed he was it's doing It's on that. the roster. He apparently that's changed like, his like, name on the roster, so yeah, they call him Jack Rabbit. So he <laughs> wants to be – well, that's always been his nickname, but I was like, I didn't know – like, I've never heard anybody on the broadcast just call him that for an entire game. Listen, guys, Brian Greasy's going through Jenkins a lot here. Rabbit. 
Brian's going through a lot here. They're trying to get rid of them. They're openly playing Peyton and Eli just right up against them as they're doing their broadcast, knowing that they got no chance against those two guys just talking BS. All right. He's going through a lot. Let him let him call that man Jack Rabbit. Did you hear did you hear Greasy say he was gonna chain that other dude up on the broadcast? <laughs> what? Who? I don't even remember what they were saying. It was they showed some Halloween picture or something, and it was like some guy wearing chains and greasy out of nowhere. Just like, I'd like to chain yeah. you up. He's trying to be edgy. Yeah. Brian's trying to be edgy here, man. He's a Rolls Bowl champion. All right. Let him have it, man. He's trying to be a little edgy here. So but the no, reason yeah. that I brought up Jackrabbit is because he's one of their starting corners, apparently. Uh, yeah, and he's not very terrible. good. And he's also, uh, he, he got toasted uh, a few times. And that's been happening all season long. They've got Kevin Byard, who's a legitimately really good safety. And he's all over the place. And they'll play him everywhere. And he's the guy you got to watch out for. Like, if they get a, if they get a takeaway in this game, it's going to be either Kevin Byard made an incredible play or their pass rush got to Mahomes and then he made a terrible play. So it'll be one of those two things that took place on that. But the Chiefs receivers should have a massive, massive day against the Titans defensive backs. To put it in context, Ron, this defense is basically the exact same against the pass as what we saw last week with Washington. This is one of the worst defenses that we'll see all year long. So this this passing game should have a big, big day. Yeah, and, and and while you're at it, you're saying the ways that they could hurt the Chiefs is is buyers at, at safety, but then also the pass rush, and there's certain type of skill sets that can make Chiefs fans nervous about their tackles, and Orlando Brown, and now it's it's Mike Rimmers who got in the game, and, and i got to be honest, and i got to admit, Mike Mike Rimmers played pretty well. It uh, played pretty well against that Washington front. i got to give him credit. Um, I would not vomit uh, if he played again or he started again, and I probably expect that he will. But uh, I don't know about you, BK. The skill set of the defensive line, in particular the outside guys for the Titans, they present problems that generally has gotten Mike Rimmers in trouble and Orlando Brown in trouble. This is actually a pretty good defensive front in terms of the pass rush. In the past, it's been terrible. They've put a lot of resources towards it, and now it's it's pretty solid. And specifically to what you're talking about, Bud Dupree and Harold Landry win with speed. They're kind of one-trick ponies. They don't have a whole lot else that they do well, but – if they're going to beat you, it's going to be with speed. And the Chiefs' offensive tackles, the thing they struggle with the most is speed coming off of the edges. Now, it's a little better with Rimmers out there as opposed to Lucas Niang. And if you listen to this show, you knew that it was a possibility that Lucas Niang was going to get replaced. I thought it would be Kyle Long. I thought they would wait until he was back to be able to do that. But it made sense for them to go to Rimmers. He's just better right now. I think Lucas Niang's going to be a part of their future but right now they're better with one of those other two guys, the veterans being That's in there. Fair. And Mahomes was a lot more comfortable as a result. Um, but this front can give them some issues. And that is the really defensively for, for the Titans. It's the only thing that worries me is what their defensive line and specifically their edge rushers are going to do against the tackles. Everything else is, is pretty bad, man. But that's the one thing that they do have that could be going for them. Yeah, Bud Dupree, and they'll switch him up. They'll bring him on on either side. And Harold Landry, they, they are... They are the problems. 
And I and I think, and I'll say like I did last week, don't be afraid to help those guys, right? When you like uh, like five five men protection. I know Andy loves to do it. Five men protection, just like let's be smart about that. Especially if you start to see Mike Rimmers or Orlando Brown slow, you know, start getting beat around the corner. You got to help them dudes out. So that that is a very very big key because if he has time. He's gonna pick these cats apart, and it, and he don't need seven seconds. Like the Chiefs guys should be able to create separation rather quickly against this secondary. And if he has time, he'll eat them up. The only thing you would think that would stop him is is that pass rush. My other point here, fellas, is when the Chiefs have the ball, is this feels like to me a week that they're gonna help their defense. They got to help their defense. I'm not convinced that, and I, I'm very impressed with the last six quarters that we've seen of this Chiefs defense. But I'm not completely convinced that they've turned the corner and that they can't revert themselves back to the previous defense that we've seen before get torched uh, by good by good offenses. And this is a good offense that has weapons, um, and I think they got to help them. And to me, the way you can help them is, I think touchdowns are a really really big deal. Uh, in this game, being able to put as many points on the board to try to stretch this thing to a place where they have to at least start to think about, God, man, do we use Derrick Henry? Like, do we do we got to stop using Derrick Henry? Do we got to start to maybe throw the ball to keep up because the Chiefs are scoring at a rate that we got to try to stay in the game and we can't afford to maybe run the ball as much. The best, the best thing for the Chiefs is that their offense, they can help make this a Ryan Tannehill game and not a Derrick Henry game. And I believe the offense can help it by scoring big points. Yeah, this is this is all about scoring touchdowns, not field goals in the red zone. And for the most part yep. this year, the Chiefs and have not been turning pretty, it over. That too. Uh, the Chiefs have been pretty good at this uh, so far this year. They're top six in the NFL when it comes to red zone touchdown percentage. But yeah, you mentioned it. They had two red zone turnovers last week. They had two the week before that. They had two inside the 35 against the Chargers, as we mentioned earlier. You got to clean that up. That can't be happening in this game. So you got to limit the turnovers overall. You've got to avoid them entirely in the red zone. Once you get down there, you got to be scoring touchdowns. Against this team, the Titans are going to score points against your defense. That's going to happen. You're not going to be able to completely stop them. You're going to need to score 35 or so to be able to win this one. You got to do that with touchdowns, not field goals. No, I I completely agree. And that way you help your defense. And we've watched them do that. Every time they play Baltimore, except for this year, which they had it set up, but they would score so much that the the Ravens had to had to abort what it is that they want to do. And this happened when the Chiefs played the Titans in the AFC Championship game. Derrick Henry was absolutely killing them in the first half, and they were able to control the pace of the game and do all that. And then at some point late late in the first half and into that early portion of the the second half, the Chiefs spread the lead out to a point where Derrick Henry touched the ball one time on a screen pass in the second half because they felt like they had to try to keep up. And And that is a major way that they can help this defense. Why do you think that is? Do you have any rhyme or reason for why they're so up and down? 
I don't really, I've never been able to understand it, but I've always just thought that the first step to being a good team is beating the teams you're supposed to beat. Sure. Being the next step is beating the breaks off the teams that you're supposed to beat and competing against absolutely anybody. But mm. you're never really going to take the step you have to until you can stack W's against quality and not quality, meaning don't play down to one opponent and up to another. Don't show up on prime time and then you know not show up at a noon kickoff against the Jacksonville Jaguars and things like that. They're just a really weird Dr. Jekyll right. and Mr. Hyde team, they have a they have a ton of talent and they've got a coach that understands what it's like to win Super Bowls because he did it as a player. Um, right. So it's just a it's an odd I don't I can't really explain it. Honestly, it makes it sometimes infuriating to <laughs> cover the team because trying to right. predict the games, it's just like I'm going to start flipping a coin at some point. I actually did that two years ago. I'm like, I'm going to stop trying to predict what the <laughs> Titans are going to do week in and week out at the end of my at the time I was doing a 6 p.m. show. I flipped a coin, heads, Titans win, tails, they lost. And I did that for the entire season. I probably came up with about the same number I would have had I actually put real analysis into my predictions. Well, let's let's move on to something that we know has been the beacon of consistency for the Titans, at least so far this year. That, of course, is running back Derrick Henry. We've, we've buried the lead long enough. This has just been an amazing stretch for him from afar. It's been amazing to watch. What have you noticed from Henry that maybe we – aren't been or haven't been able to gather from a national standpoint as we look from afar i don't know that i've seen anything you haven't seen but one thing that i've always found intriguing is this city at least i mean and i'm a i'm a transplant i was commuting for a while from kentucky but i i started working for the zones and intern back in 2012 i'm from the carolinas i was born in virginia and grew up in the carolinas where there wasn't an nfl team but the time that i've been here the titans haven't been all that good here until the last few years when they've made some playoff runs and, of course, made an AFC title game and lost to your guys uh, a couple of years ago. But they haven't had superstars, Pete. Like, they haven't had – and when I mean superstar, I mean Tom Brady, Russell mm -hmm. Wilson. They haven't had guys that people outside this market should care about. So I know what I felt like watching Marshawn Lynch. I know what I felt like when I saw the Seahawks were going to be on somebody's schedule. I'm going to watch that because I want to see what beast mode does. And the same right. thing with a top flight quarterback or a top flight wide receiver or whatever it is. There's got to be some reason to watch. So I would turn the question back and ask you from afar, what do you think of when you like when you hear the Titans, do you immediately start to think of Derrick Henry? Like it's hard for me. Being I think so it's one of those. Yeah, I think it's one of those rare teams and you don't really see it that much in the NFL anymore where you hear a team's name and you instantly think of the running back. I mean, how common is that? It's typically the quarterback. Maybe it, it is a wide receiver or something like that. But yeah, to me, it's the Tennessee Titans synonymous with this running back for sure. Yeah, but in terms of what he does, I mean, you see it. I mean, he's 200 yards clear of everybody else. His, right. his, his touchdown numbers, he's hit double figures already. The pace he's on, I don't know whether or not he can keep it up, but if he does... He could be the NFL MVP in a quarterback's league. And, and Dan Patrick said this a couple of days ago, and I thought it was a really interesting take about Derrick Henry. He said, teams are not geared anymore to stop what Derrick Henry does. He's mm -hmm. out of his era, and the Titans have bet on that because they have a cyborg in the backfield, basically. Like, right. teams, 
it, it's it's the same thing in the NBA. You're trying to stop the three. Steph Curry broke basketball, so everybody tries to either outscore or stop the three. Mahomes and, and you guys in Kansas City and what Andy Reid was doing, it became let's stop that and let's find out how to stop Lamar Jackson. And to some degree, neither one of those has been determined yet. The Titans are playing this old school football, and the defense just isn't geared to stop that kind right. of a running attack. And as a result, you add to it just his natural skills and the underrated speed. I would say that's the one thing that people don't get. He's not a first-level runner. He's a second-level runner. Mm -hmm. If you want to stop Derrick Henry, you got to get him early and you got to get him high. You're not going to take him down with ankle tackles, but he, he wins by attrition, Pete. First three quarters, he might get three. He might get four, but they're just going to keep handing it to him. That's, that's the game plan for the Tennessee Titans. And then all of a sudden you look up and he gets a 76-yard run or he gets a 95-yard run, or he chunks off a 20, a 25, a 17, something like that in the fourth quarter, and then you look up and he's got 150 yards. Like that, that is how he does what he does. Then on the flip side, I will say this. In pass protection, he's a liability, which mm -hmm. is why he's often off the field in third-down situations. They bring somebody else in. He has improved as a pass-catching running back. I mean, nobody's ever going to confuse him for, for Alvin Kamara or somebody right. like that, but – in pass protection, he's not somebody that picks up blocks particularly well. He's gotten Tannehill sacked a few times this season. That's not what he's out there to do. But in terms of his speed, when he hits the second level, I mean, the touchdown he had on Monday against Buffalo, I think he was 21.8 miles per hour. At his size, that's like getting hit by a small car. So is the best way to counteract that, I mean, I know way easier said than done, but it seems like second half two score lead because if the Titans need to throw the football, they'd prefer that he not even be on the field. Yeah. One of the narratives that a lot of people will push back against here is the idea that you can take Derrick Henry out of the game. If you get mm -hmm. a lead early because the Titans aren't going to change what they do. Now, obviously if you're up three touchdowns, you have to right. start monitoring things. But if they have to go no huddle with them, they'll go no huddle with them. They're going to okay. ride or die with this guy. Now, look, they've got talented wide receivers. Julio hasn't really been available consistently this year. But A.J. Brown's a stud. A.J. Brown, most people are starting to learn who he is. And when, I, when you go back to the superstar conversation, he's right. on the cusp. I wouldn't say he's necessarily there nationally, but he's on the cusp of it. So they can beat you there if they have to. But the way to take Derrick Henry out of the game is get to third down. If you yeah. can get the Titans to third down and six, he's mm -hmm. off the field. Most of the right. time, you'll, you'll watch this on Sunday. It will happen, I promise you. Your audience, your listeners, uh, you'll look at the sideline. CBS will cut to the sideline, and Derrick Henry will be standing <laughs> there on third down and five. You're like, why would that guy be out of the game? And it's because he can't protect Ryan Tannehill, and Jeremy McNichols or whoever else is going to be better uh, in the flat or in that first level, catching a quick screen or something like that and going upfield with it. You mentioned Julio and Brown. Brown hasn't been practicing this week, but I've sort of just assumed he's going to be okay to go for the game day. Do you think that there's a chance Julio Jones plays in this game? I know he's dealing with the hamstring. Same thing for Taylor Luan. Those seem like the key players on, on offense there. Yeah, Julio's a... If I had to put money on it today, I would say Julio probably is not going to play. That's just okay. a guess. I mean, he, right. uh, you never know, and they keep everything close to it. You know this. I mean, they don't want yeah. you to know this. They don't want anybody in Kansas City. <laughs> they want you to have to prepare for absolutely everything. Of course, yeah. Of course. Yeah, so I, I would tend to think he's not going to play. He's just been nagged. Uh, he was nagged all year, all, all last year in Atlanta. Right. He's he's dealt with you know toe issues and stuff like that for years. 
So I'm banking on him not being available. AJ, I think, plays. When it comes to Taylor, it's weird because protocol and it looked a lot worse in the moment. It's very, very hard to predict. Uh, I'd seen, you know, maybe a stinger, something to that degree. I guess it just depends. I I don't know. I'd say it's it's 50-50 right now. We're going to learn a lot more after tomorrow's practice as it relates to as it relates to Taylor Lewan. But Taylor Lewan's been another guy that has it's been really hard to guarantee he's going to be in any game because he's gotten right. hurt so frequently because well, offensive line's not an easy place to live. I wanted to ask you about the pass game and it seems like wild success in the ground we just kind of spoke about that but the past game has struggled a little bit has it just been the consistency of these guys not being able to stay on the field together i think that's i think that's part of it pete but i i think even though aj brown kind of tried to downplay this during the off season these guys didn't practice very much like when you when when you're sitting there in training camp and julio's not available and aj right. is sitting out most of these practices Tannehill. Tannehill's a really solid quarterback, but who's going to be great with some new weapons when you can't develop the chemistry that you need on field to do something very precise, like throw and catch a football? Natural ability is eventually going to take over, but this offense just didn't get a lot of time to work as a as a full unit. So I think that that's, that's part of it. And then the other thing, they, I mean, Tannehill was on pace going into the Bills game to be sacked. 70 times this year like I mean he is getting knocked down and Mm. beaten and it's because of the struggles of the offensive line we talked about Lawan, Roger Saffold has been banged up this year Ben Jones has been hurt a lot the right right side of the line is questionable at best in terms of what you can actually get from him now you've got Ty Sambrello who's who's chosen to retire in the middle of the season the right side of the line is a problem and if Kansas City wants to try and exploit Tennessee, that's going to be the best way to do it is to come through the right and dare them to try and stop it. So I think that a large part of the passing attack being right. neutered to some degree is just that Tannehill has not had the time for things to develop down the field. And these second-level wide receivers, the Nick Westbrook Aquinas, the yeah. Chester Rogers, the Marcus Johnsons, talented. But there's a re- the reason why they're second guys is because they can't create separation the same way that your top-flight guys can. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. 